if you're just getting started, just recognize that this is a journey and it is a long one. And I think it make sure you're doing this for the right reasons to start. So make sure that you're working on an idea you really believe in, because there is going to be plenty of ups and downs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the FinTech Leaders Podcast, where we learn from today's global leaders in FinTech business and beyond. Coming to you from New York City, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa. My guest today is Jason Wilkes, serial entrepreneur and co-founder and CEO of Dave, a U.S. challenger bank that was able to reach over 10 million clients in just four years. Founded in 2017, Dave went public in January of 2022 via SPAC and currently has a market cap of close to $4 billion. As a private company, Dave raised almost $200 million and was able to attract top investors like Mark Cuban, Norwest Venture Partners, Financial Solutions Lab, and even Diplo. In this episode, we discuss how losing a round of golf sparked his curiosity for international business, tech, and entrepreneurship. Fundraising lessons. What has Jason learned from multiple roadshows of equity fundraising, both as a private company and then as a public company? Going public. Lessons learned from the SPAC process and why they chose this route instead of an IPO. Launching Dave as a non-bank and why listening to customer feedback led them to expand their product set and become a challenger bank, and just a lot more. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Jason Wilk. Well, Jason, welcome to the FinTech Leaders Podcast. Excited to have you here. I'm guessing all the way from LA in California. That's right, Miguel. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. It's, it's a pleasure and you know, I've been I've been meaning to have this conversation for a long, long time. So I'm I'm, I'm glad we're getting this done. And, and there's a lot to talk about. So I, I want to jump straight to it. And I guess it's great when we get to hear a little bit of the story of the company. Uh, but I I think it's it's even better when we have a guest like you who who's a serial entrepreneur. And so maybe take us through your your journey as a founder uh, and how you know your previous companies led you to Dave. Yeah, so my background, I'm, I'm sort of a lifelong entrepreneur, always coming up with different types of inventions dating back to when I was a kid. I had designed up a acne-fighting shaving cream. I had designed a golf bag that had an umbrella built in. So I was always interested in building stuff. That that was for sure. My real path, though, that I thought I was going on was to be a professional golfer. I was obsessed with golf. I was a good player. I, went, I played golf in college. And that's where I really thought I was heading on, on a path to. And I ultimately, I, I grew up in sort of a very like middle-class uh, sub- suburban neighborhood, about an hour outside of Los Angeles. And didn't have exposure to a lot of you know, super successful people. And my path, again, I always thought to be successful was going to be in, in professional sports. Well, I ended up getting paired on a golf course one day with uh, a very successful CEO of a, of a public company. I never met someone so successful. And he invited me out to, to play. And he absolutely just destroyed me. I mean, he 
he beat me by probably five or six shots. And at the time he was in his like late fifties and he, he told me that based on that round of golf, he did not recommend me uh, going pro. He didn't think I, I had it. In <laughs> and so I, I kept in contact with him and he, he was the one who convinced me to do, uh, to take some time off of golf and go do a study abroad in China. And there I got introduced to a, a lot of interesting stuff and really started falling in love with internet businesses, which uh, this, this guy had had quite a bit of experience in. And I started taking on that, you know, that youthfulness from where I used to come up with ideas and started applying that to technology. And the sort of the rest is history. I mean, I've, I've been a founder uh, since since the college days and have, have not looked back. And it's been a been a really fulfilling career. You mentioned living in China and, and you know, the reason why I'm interested is because I, I also spent several years living in, in Beijing uh, what, what did you learn there? Because it is a very different culture, but I think it's also a very entrepreneurial culture. Yeah, it's very entrepreneurial. I had to learn about sort of outsourced development, how to really get my point across clearly to to communicate the idea, how to get it built. And it was just a great lesson for me to be in such a burgeoning society, to see such fast-paced growth and to see what was was truly possible. It was, uh, it, you know, it was very inspiring. So Jason, let's zoom in on Dave. Um, maybe tell us about you, how the idea came about and, and why did you get started, right? Starting a bank or a financial company is not easy. Uh, and there's a reason why very few people do it. Um, it's a crowded field uh, with a lot of regulatory um, complexity not just in the U.S., but anywhere in the world. Uh, yet, despite that, you've managed to to grow, you know, a pretty significant company. Yeah, it's been a, a really great run. And it really started back from my days in, in China, where it was really hard to manage a bank account from, you know, a U.S. bank account from overseas. And I was consistently overdrafting my account, getting hit with all these overdraft penalties every time my account would go negative. It was costing me hundreds of dollars a month just because you know, we didn't even have Wi-Fi in our rooms there. We had to go down, the, uh, down about 10 flights of stairs just to use the internet. And so it was consistently not able to keep track of my, my automatic bills and everything that was taking place back home. So I always had the pain point of overdraft since the college days, and it, 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 it had stuck with me. And when it came time to starting my, my, you know, my next company, I wanted to go for a, a, a really big and powerful idea. My last business was a Y Combinator company, which had a successful exit. And I'd spent about seven years building that business. And I had some money in my pocket to go actually chase a, you know, a much bigger idea and try and really change an, an industry. And of everything I looked at, you know, the best ideas, I think, always come from, from things that you have a personal pain point with. You know, it's one thing to sort of come up with unique and innovative ideas, but if it's something that you feel passionate about, then the chance of success if you are all in on that to fix the problem, I think your chances go up for success immensely. And so the, the unique way that we built Dave in the beginning was not to ultimately build a bank. We recognized that that was a very complex problem. I, my partners and I had no idea about anything related to financial and regulatory. So it, just to learn the industry in itself was a year-long crash course, if not more of an intense studying Everything from payments to regulation to meeting lawyers to meeting lobbyists and congresspeople, it was, it was a, a lot of work. But the way we started was quite 
clever. So, you know, as opposed to starting a bank, we were going to be a solution that helped you avoid overdraft fees at your existing bank and be the sort of you know, saving grace for you at, at your account to both warn you about upcoming bills and then spot you 75 bucks if you were in need of, of covering a negative balance. Because I really built this product for myself. When I was over, overseas living in China, if I had a service that was alerting me about my water and power bill that was coming up that was due and let me know that my account was about to go negative and also spotted me for free for a few days to cover that negative balance, that would have been a, a game changer for me. And so that's really the way I designed the product was for, for my younger self and as a layer on top of banks. We knew we always would get into building our own uh, banking product ourselves, but the way we built it initially to be very low friction, a sort of fun way to interact with your existing account was was sort of the, the, the clever way we built the company and how we got to be so successful in such a short amount of time. And, and I'm guessing the what followed was, sounds like you were expanding your services through adjacencies, right? Once Once you were in their accounts and you were able to help them avoid overdraft fees, then I guess your next step was to, you know, build your own accounts. How did you make those decisions, right? When did you know it was the right time to, to expand your product set? Well, we'd, we weren't sure when, when we were going to do it. It was all came down to talking to customers. I mean, the, the best thing you can do, that's one of the most valuable lessons we learned back from Y Combinator from our last business was just talk to your customers learn from them. And, our customers love the day product. They they love borrowing from us. They love the bill alerts. But ultimately, they were sick and tired of their, their bank account. And their number one most requested feature was for Dave to get into banking ourselves. So just by listening to our customers, we knew it was time. And we were hesitant to go into it because we we had seen sort of a, a lot of these neo banks that had come along before us that just weren't getting much traction. But we were excited because we had a new way to acquire customers. It was not not very expensive. The other neobank competition had not solved for how to have an innovative overdraft solution. And so we knew the time was right. And we, we got to market Folio um, last year. That's awesome. And in a world where talent is increasingly harder to find, um, why do you think you, you've uh, succeeded at, at you know, putting together a strong team and, and recruiting strong talent? What, what do you think attracts your employee base to the company? Having a really crisp and solid mission that people can get behind is, is really important. You know, a, a great body of work we just completed here at the company was getting very clear on what our vision, what our mission, what our strategy is, and then exactly who our customers are. And having that level of clarity is not only helpful to get the entire company on the same page, but it's also very clear and, and motivating for people who want to join what you're up to. And I'd say of, of all three of those things, the, the, the mission is very important. People love to hear about it. They love to hear it recited. And they know why they're getting up in the morning to, to come to work for you. So I, I think that's, a, that's an important piece. And obviously having a mission that people believe in, especially one that is going after such a pervasive problem to help everyday people improve financial health. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about your fundraising process because, uh, you know, now you're a public company. So you've, you know, you've had two realities, one as a private company and another one as a public company. 
Uh, as part of the audience, we have a number of early stage entrepreneurs who are probably going to be following your footsteps and going out and, and raising money from venture capital funds, investors, what have you. Um, I don't think I've read a single Dave article where Mark Cuban isn't mentioned, right? So you you definitely have uh, been very successful at putting together a, a strong team of backers. What did you learn throughout this uh, process of raising equity? Well, you want to first raise money from people who are going to help you. There's a lot of investors out there who all they want to do is write a check and and stay behind the scenes. And and, and that can be fine, but you, you want people who you really can re- can ask for advice who can help you with with strategy, people that really want to roll up their sleeves and and help. And Mark was always that guy. I mean, even even him being so busy, for us, the amount of intellect he brings to the table, the amount of competitiveness and product intuition he brings to the table has always been super helpful. So finding investors like that that want to be more than a check, I think is is really important. And then also find people that are aligned to your, you know, to to where you want to take the company to. You know, is this purely a financial investment for them? Is this something, you know, a, a product in an, in an industry they really care about? Are they aligned to you once you're a public company? Because that's the ultimate place you're going to be taking it. So there's a, a lot of factors uh, that, that are at play. And, and how do you make sure that they are aligned? For, for VCs specifically, do you, did you have a process to selecting the, the funds that you bring on board? Well, we didn't really have... Much of a uh, much of a luxury there. Unfortunately, raising our seed round was surprisingly challenging for us, mostly because my my co-founder and I we had just sold a, an advertising technology company, and even though Mark and the Kraft family and a few other shareholders were already investors in that business, it was quite challenging to convince them that we were the right guys to go disrupt banking because we we knew nothing about it. So we basically took money from whoever would, would believe, you know, listen to the story and believe in us. And we pulled together a, a, you know, about a $3 million seed round. When it came to the Series A, we went on about 100 and, 120 or 150 different meetings to try and tell people that overdraft is this huge problem, like we are going to disrupt banking. And we had some early traction, not a ton. And that was very challenging for us. So ultimately, we, we raised money from someone who... Uh, really just like the team. They didn't know much about the, the problem space. They just knew that we were passionate about it. And that alone was was getting them to write the check. So it was great to have somebody like that who was very you know, founder friendly. Um, and that investor was was Bill Maris from Section 32. And he, he's been a great asset for us um, since we since we raised the, the money back uh, in 20, that was 2017, I believe we raised $10 million from him. Got it. And, and fast forward a, a little bit, right? And, and now you, you're a public company. Maybe tell us about the decision to, to go public and, and how did you decide on IPO versus SPAC and eventually land on, on the SPAC option? To us, it, it didn't really matter. I mean, I, I now obviously there's some challenges around certain SPACs because a lot of SPACs you know, that went public probably should not be public companies. For Dave, we had a we have a great business, and so it didn't really matter for us which route we took. We ultimately went with the SPAC because it was just a little bit faster, and we had more of a guarantee on at least the amount of capital we were going to raise. So that's why we chose 
that route versus an IPO, but it was completely indifferent as to why we chose that route. For me, being public really means we have opportunity now to help make everyday shareholders money on the growth and success of Dave versus a lot of companies that they wait so long to go public. And ultimately, the only people that end up making money are are the VCs that that kept giving them capital along the way. And for us, you know, while I, I love Silicon Valley, we didn't have a ton of success in, in capital raising from a Silicon Valley perspective. And we couldn't get a lot of investors to believe in the the mission of, of banking. Now that's like a hot category, of course, everyone's involved in it. But I'd rather raise money from everyday shareholders than than VCs at this point. And so for being a public company, that's been great. Have there been any any changes to your day to day as a public company CEO? Not really. It's it's cool to open up the you know that Apple stock app and you know and see your you know see the Dave ticker. That's it's pretty surreal to to see that. But ultimately, we worked really hard to make sure we have a very clear strategy for how we're going to operate and and run the business. And there's a little more heightened sensitivity around reporting on your earnings and all those things. But overall. Everyone, everything pretty much stays the same. We we keep our heads down. We build the business. And ultimately, we talk to shareholders. Although now we talk to shareholders, they can make a decision to invest right on the spot. You don't need to go through some long, complicated process to get a term sheet and do due diligence and all this crazy stuff that we got to front load by going through the IPO process. So you, you're obviously making a bet on on the future of financial services. And, and I know that the vision is that Dave will be an important part of it. But so maybe let's talk about about that. How do you envision the market moving, banking, and I guess fintech in general, and and where does Dave fit in on I guess the road ahead? So the early, it's been amazing to see that the early innovations that we've made around overdraft have have really changed industry. When we came on the scene in 2017, overdraft at major banks is, was thirty four dollars every time you went negative, up to a hundred dollars a day. Everyone knows the pain of, of that. Neobanks didn't have any overdraft solution at all. If you went negative on a, on a neobank, they would just tell you you're out of luck. Your car gets declined. Since the onset of Dave, we've issued 50 million overdraft advances at no interest. And we're now seeing finally the big banks are, are taking notice with some banks you know, getting rid of overdraft fees altogether. Some big banks are, are reducing their fees. So I think a lot of that is thanks to to, to Dave in, in a major way, which we feel really proud about. There's just still so much more to go. If you look at overdraft, it's about a $20 billion a year industry, which affects the people that can't afford it the most. But if you look at who we're serving, which is the everyday American consumer, they're paying $300 billion a year in fees for credit card products, buy now, pay later. There's so many ways you can really start to cut the profit center out of these major institutions to build much better products to improve people's financial health. And so for us, while the banks may be starting to eradicate overdraft, there's still so many other areas to to pick off. And Dave is that trusted brand that we're building a market that we think people can trust and rely on for years to come that we can satisfy many areas of their financial life, not just one. So the, the last decade obviously was fantastic for the fintech industry. Are you as optimistic about the entrepreneurial wave of the next decade within the fintech space? Yeah, I, I think we'll see a lot of innovations. I don't think there's going to be you know, thousands of companies that are winners in the space and there's going to be a dozen or so that make a meaningful dent in sort of the consumer banking market. 
And so I'm excited to see the, the innovations coming from, from those market leading companies like Dave that will be on the forefront of, of what the financial industry should look like in the next uh, 10, 20 years. Now, Jason, one thing I, I mentioned uh, before is that we, we do have entrepreneurs who tune in as a, as a founder. I mean, I think this whole episode is, you know, you have, you've, you've shared a lot of lessons, but any reflections you'd love to share with uh, entrepreneurs and, and, and business leaders who, who are getting started? If you're just getting started, just recognize that this is a journey and it is a long one. And I think it, make sure you're doing this for the right reasons to start. So make sure that you're working on an idea you really believe in because there is going to be plenty of ups and downs. Now, entrepreneurship is uh, you've got to keep a very even keel mentality because there's so many days that are good. There's so many days that are bad. And ultimately, you have to go to sleep at night that the next day you're working on something that you're really passionate about. So I think first and foremost, make sure you're aligned to your own idea because the whole notion of getting rich quick through startups, it's you know. Many times it feels like an overnight success for things you see in the news, but it is an absolute journey to to get there. The other one I'd say is find yourself a, you know, a great co-founder, someone who you really trust, someone who you think you can go through the trenches with, because ultimately you, you know you will go through the trenches, and having that person to do it with I think is is key. You know, they don't necessarily need to be a fifty fifty partner. You can find people who are smaller partners, but having those that you think can uh, really help you along the way and I think is also important when it comes to the, the co-founder pick, make sure you are building an early team that you can, you get just through equity, you can build the product to potentially get to market just with you and your partner. So for us at Dave it was great because my co-founder, like I was our, our head of product, our, my co-founder Paris was our CTO. So he could code the whole thing. And our other co-founder, John Willman, and he was our, our head of design. And so all three of us were able to really put together the first iteration of the product, which was pretty awesome to see. So basically, you know, don't rely on, on seed investors or investors to help you get your product to market. Make sure you can do it on your own and you will have a lot more, uh, a, a lot more success. And lastly, it's just you know, focus on the, the team. Once you find product market fit, if you're lucky to get there, which is you know, such a great feeling when you start to see customers coming in. Make sure you're hiring the right people around you and do your reference checks because the, the, the people side can be challenging and can slow you down or it can be a real accelerant to you getting great product out to, to market. Sounds like your founder co-founders have definitely been very helpful and consequential in your, in your journey. Who else comes to mind as you know, people that, that had a strong impact uh, in you? Yeah, it's the co-founders. Then from there, it's the it's, it's your first layer of, of employees. We have one of our very first engineers. I think it's really more like an employee number one. Phil was just an incredible coder. Got us got our first product to market, and that that's really key. I mean, it keep, keeps going back to the talent, and then of course, as I mentioned earlier in the call, the investors you bring around the table. You know, get good angel investors who want to help you, who have a good perspective, who you can call for advice because it can be it can be lonely as a as a founder, it can be lonely as a, as a CEO. And so you want people you can call on who, who know what you're going through and rounding out that early group is, is, is really key to, to success and for your, uh, for your mental health as well. Well, outstanding. Uh, listen, Jason, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we got this 
recorded. Thank you so much for stopping by and, you know, I'm going to be following very, very closely uh, the future of Dave. Thanks so much, Miguel. It was great to be here. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed this episode with Jason Wilk, CEO of Dave. If you want more interviews, make sure to subscribe, follow, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever you get your shows. It helps and truly, truly means a lot. As always, I want to extend a very, very special thank you to my friend, the great editor, Rafael Ostria, for his amazing work behind the scenes. Signing off till next week. I'm your host, Miguel Armasa.